Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong. And I'm Jesse Chizeski Kay. Susan and I are two statisticians in academia, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. This includes topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. As promised, in this episode, we will have our second of the two-part series where we get into our background so you get to know us a little bit better. And in particular, in this episode, it is my turn to be asking the questions, so I'll be peppering Jessie with questions about her background. So to begin, Jessie, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you studied in college? Yeah, sure. That's a good spot to begin. I was ultimately a math major. I had a, um, my final degree is a Bachelor of Science in Math with a concentration in business administration, which meant I took some of the introductory business courses like accounting, finance, marketing, management, and that sort of thing. But Did you always know you were going to major in math because you had mentioned your final, your final major was math? <laughs> yeah, that's what was uh, so fun, I guess, about college is that you, you imagine all these different paths that you might take. And so for me, I... I think I started college thinking I was going to be a podiatrist for some reason. I, I don't know why. I just, I think that's what I wrote on some form when they said, what do you want to be? Uh, Is that part of your personal statement when you applied? I don't think it was a personal statement. I think it was, so for, for, so I went to the University of Notre Dame and for our dorms, your dorm ends up being kind of like your, I don't know, like a, a sorority or a fraternity. You typically stay in the same dorm all four years and you have a, dorm kind of government. And I, I think that um, before the new freshmen arrived, they asked us some information about us and then they put it, um, put that information on our dorm doors so that people could come by and, and see some basic background information. You're like, where are you from? What do you want to do? What, you know, what, what are you planning to be? And I saved it because I made a scrapbook for every year I was in college and I had podiatrist on that. So I, I think it was more, you know, the summer before college started, that's, that was roughly my plan. Okay. But, but then, yeah, I, but once college actually started, <laughs> and we had enrolling classes, and um, I really thought about pursuing math. And so I ended up considering math plus other topics. So at one point, I was math and film and television because I thought I would become a, a movie producer. Uh, well, here we are producing podcasts. Oh, yes. Not too far off. <laughs> exactly. It was quite prophetic. <laughs> quite prophetic. Um, yeah. And then I, I found, I took an abnormal psychology class that I thought was so fascinating. I, I never actually officially declared that as a second major. Um, but I, I remember thinking that would have been a, a neat thing to pursue as well. But um, but yeah, I, all four years, it was always math. And then I was thinking about or considering another, another major as well. Cool. Yeah, but then, um, yeah, so as the, the years went on um, in college, eventually, you know, you have to figure out what do you actually want to do? You know, some, at some point in junior year, there's going to be a job fair and people have to decide what are you going to put as kind of your, your goal at the job fair? And so I, um, one of my friends who was also a math major had told me about um, this actuarial profession. And so sometime midpoint my junior year, I thought, okay, I'll consider being an actuary. So for, for the listeners who, um, who listened to our episode three, Susan was also an actuary. 
and um, and so yeah, it, it ends up being a, a quite popular profession for those who are into kind of the math disciplines. But um, but yeah, so junior year, I um, went to a job fair, applied for some internships, and I ended up getting an internship before the summer before my senior year at um, at Allstate Insurance Company, which is um, it was located just outside Northbrook, Illinois, so in their corporate office. And um, and over that summer, I learned a lot about um, about what actuaries do in insurance, and um, yeah, it was, it was quite quite interesting. I actually, I'm I'm still very fascinated by insurance. I, I get kind of excited when people come up with um, kind of new ideas for how to price um, price insurance policies. Well, <laughs> so how long did you uh, work at Allstate? What kinds of insurance did you primarily work with? Oh yeah, so I um, so I had the internship at the end of the summer before, actually, yeah, we'll just say at the end of the summer. I'm not sure exactly the timing, <laughs> but um, before my senior year started, I was offered a position for after my senior year, and I just, I, um, I loved it there. It was a great place to work, and um, and so I, I did go back as a, a full-time employee after my, my senior year, and I worked there for, um, for two years, and I worked in what's called specialty product lines, and so this was um, working on pricing plans for um, for policies for things like boats, off-road vehicles, motor homes, motorcycles, and that sort of thing. And so a lot of the actuaries work on um, home and auto. And so in the specialty product lines, we touch upon home and auto, home and auto but it's more of um, the, the smaller lines. And, mm-hmm. um, and so working in specialty product lines, you also work across all states, Pretty much, there there might have been. I think there's some exceptions, where you. Um, but it was almost the almost all the states, and so it was pretty interesting. I um, I enjoyed it. So you, we would do things like develop new rating plans. Just to give a, a very simple example, suppose that they wanted to offer a a discount where if you have a boat and a motorcycle, you get, you know, a discount. I I don't think that was what I'm just, I'm making that up, but, um, but if you're going to offer a discount, then you have to um, uh, figure out, you know, what the actual effect is on, um, on all the different policies and is it even legal within each state? And so you have to, um, you have to work with the legal department and then um, supposing that everything gets approved, then you have to work with the people who implement the discount and make sure it's implemented correctly. And um, I mean, even I, I remember there are things even like, okay, so let's suppose you get a 5% discount for, you know, having a, a boat and, and a car policy, auto policy. Then there's this question of like, what, what happens if, um, if someone's price comes to, you know, however many dollars and then 0.324 cents, like, <laughs> like then what do you round down? Do you round up? Like, how do you do it? And I actually don't, there, there's some like legal, like there is a correct way to do it. I don't remember what it was, but it's probably rounding down, but I just, wow. remember, things like that where, I mean, you don't really think about, but those are the level of details, the level of detail that you might have that you might encounter with um, with this sort of role. And it was a great team that I worked with. So different um, different actuaries had um, actuarial analysts, I guess would be the proper term, um, maybe covered different lines. And um, sometimes there were different initiatives that um, that 
would be implemented and uh, maybe a complete overhaul of a line. And so, yeah, it, there's a, there are a lot of um, different, different aspects to the job. Um, some that I, I really loved, some that maybe weren't my favorite, but the, the thing that I loved actually the most, well, I shouldn't say the most, because <laughs> I, but the thing that, one thing I really liked about the job was actually studying for the actuarial exams. Oh, I totally get you. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, like it was, there's just something about, like, it, it was just, it was enjoyable. And... It's like collecting a badge when you're playing a video game or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex exactly, exactly. And, uh, and so, you know, it, that, it does, it did take a lot of extra time. Like at, whenever the new exam season was upon us, we'd have these. So one of the other actual analysts had developed this Excel spreadsheet where you specified every, every day up until the exam how many hours you wanted to study, and then you could. That is really hardcore. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, and and I like timed every. So it, it actually probably got to some sort of. I don't, maybe almost disordered behavior because I was timing everything I did because <laughs> like if I had to study for two hours in a given day like I would usually study first thing in the morning and I'd time it and then maybe over lunch I'd study for some part of it and so I was constantly timing myself and how long the things took and yeah but but I did get in my hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah that so. shows why you're so organized these days <laughs> yeah still <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, de detailed oriented as well, I guess. But so yeah. what ultimately led you to uh, lead you to consider a PhD in statistics? Uh, I think that for me there were there were two things. Um, one was that so, you know you're what twenty twenty two twenty three when you're just out of college and working, or at least that's what I was, and um, and I started for some reason thinking about what I would want to do when I retired. And I You're very young for thinking. <laughs> I, I know. Question. <laughs> I know. I, I, I just, <laughs> you know, planning, planning for the future. And, um, and I, I realized that I would just love to go back to college and take more classes. And I think that fit into the whole studying too. Like I really enjoyed studying. I would want to take more classes and just learn more. And then at some point it hit me that I actually didn't have to wait for retirement. I actually could go back to, to school, to graduate school and, um, and take classes. And uh, so then there's this question of, well, if I were to do that, what, what would I pursue? And, and so at Allstate, they have a, um, they have a, a number of research actuaries. And I, I should say they, they did, I, I'm assuming they still do as well. But, um, but these, um, these coworkers had often master's degrees or PhDs in statistics. And every now and again, we'd get to go to a presentation where they would talk about what they were doing. And I just, I remember being so fascinated by the, the various problems that they were working on. And I had no idea what they were talking about. I had almost no background in statistics, but it just seemed like statistics was very useful. And I was like, wait, if you learn statistics, you actually, that can allow you to um, speak to people in many different disciplines. And so you can learn all these different areas and uh, work with their data and understand um, what, what's of interest, of scientific interest or, or whatever for, for that particular field. So I was like, okay, I could, I could pursue a PhD in statistics. And, uh, and so I, I applied for a few programs and, um, and I ended up um, getting accepted and 
um, so I, I pursued my PhD at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And so I, I left Allstate and, um, and it, was, it was very hard to leave because I really enjoyed it there. I enjoyed the, the coworkers that, um, that I, I worked with. And, um, but as soon as I got to UNC, I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I, I knew that academia um, was going to be a good fit for me. <laughs> so, um, so I, yeah, and at first I thought I was crazy, you know, le leaving a, a job that you love and you have a good salary and all that to pursue this, um, this degree in a topic that you really don't know that much about. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but it, it seemed to have worked out at least. <laughs> Did you ever think that after getting your PhD in statistics, you would go back and be a research actuary, or was that not really something you considered? I, I act, so I wish I had kept a journal at the time because I, I remember thinking, and um, I don't know at what point that this changed, but I remember thinking that I would love to be a research actuary. Like I, I think in some ways that's that was in part my motivation, but. So I don't know if it if at some point before starting the PhD program or if it was once I got started in academia that I um, realized I wanted to kind of give the academia path a, a shot, but um, but I, I, I that was appealing to me being a research actuary. <laughs> so then, what happened after you graduated? Yeah, so I um, so I completed my PhD in 2012. And, um, and my dissertation topic was in something called generalized fiducial inference. Maybe sometime we can talk about that uh, on a future. Uh, There's a lot of big words there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, which I, I really enjoyed that topic, but at some point during my PhD program, I encountered an Institute for Mathematical Statistics, yeah, IMS, Institute for Mathematical Statistics Bulletin, and the the cover said something about statistics and astronomy. And I, I remember just getting all teary-eyed and thinking, what a great idea, statistics and astronomy. How cool is that? And, uh, and so then I, I started looking into it a bit more and saw that there, it was actually a field, astrostatistics, and there were a number of statisticians working in it. And so I, I was looking for places where people um, that, that had some sort of group of, of statisticians, like wh where was a lot of the activity? And so I had discovered that in the Department of Statistics at Carnegie Mellon University, there was actually a good group of statisticians that were involved in astrostatistics. And um, so I was fortunate enough to get a visiting assistant professor position at Carnegie Mellon for, um, for three years. And so I, um, I spent um, 2012 to 2015 there, and that's where I really got into astrostatistics. And, um, and then after that, I, um, I got the position I'm in now as an assistant professor at Yale in the Department of Statistics and Data Science. And so I'm still working in astrostatistics and, uh, and love it. And I'm sure in future episodes that I will talk about various problems in astrostatistics just because I happen to find them really interesting. No, it's really great. I should let our listeners know that sometimes I'll pass by Jesse's office and I'll see these really beautiful displays on her TV screen of lots of things. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more about that too. <laughs> yeah, that, that is one great thing about astronomy or working with astronomers or cosmologists or astrophysicists is you really, there can be some very beautiful pictures 
um, images and um, and data that's used. So, and and astronomers in general are actually just really enjoyable people to work with. So, yeah. So it's work. It's working out. Cool. So, so I guess you took a rather unusual path of starting something brand new after graduating, starting a, in a new field of research, I should clarify. So would you recommend the same course of action for other PhD students that if they want to get into something new, maybe look for opportunities to go somewhere to do a three-year term as a visiting assistant professor to get into the new field? Ah, that is a really great question. And I, I would say I have conflicting advice on it. So um, from one side, if, you're, if you want to kind of branch into a, a new field, like a completely new field, getting a position like visiting assistant professor or some sort of postdoc would, um, would be a great way to do that. Because I, I, don't, I don't know that it would generally be recommended to start um, like a, a tenure track position starting in a new field. Now, that's not to say it can't happen. And there certainly would be cases where um, that makes a lot of sense. But, um, but having that, that time to branch into a new field worked out um, really, it, it worked out for me because you didn't have the, um, that pressure of like needing to, I mean, you always, there's always that pressure of wanting to, to publish um, good papers and good results. But, um, but it, you have a little bit more flexibility in that um, you, you, can, you could even keep working a bit in your um, kind of your dissertation topic field um, at the same time you're pursuing this new area. I actually ended up not doing that as much. Um, I, maybe I, I should have, um, but I, I just ended up not for, for whatever reason. <laughs> um, so it's, so it can work out. Um, it's, it depends on how quickly one wants to branch into a new field. Like, so, so for me, I just, for some reason, well, I, I know why I just, I find astronomy fascinating, but I just really wanted to like dive in headfirst and like just really get involved in astrostatistics. So I think that's what happened for me. I, um, I, I really just heavily focused on, on this new field. Um, at the same time, in, with my position, I was also teaching um, two classes a year, so I had to balance it with, um, with you know, developing new course material and, and just te actually teaching the classes. But um, the, the rest of the time, I was really excited about, um, about these, these new research areas. Um, so, so it's a possibility, and I, um, I think, like I said, it, it can work out for people who are, are motivated to pursue a new area. Um, if you're, if you're, so it's, uh, if you're really excited though about your current research and you just feel like, like you should add more, um, you could maybe do that more slowly and do it while pursuing a, um, potentially a tenure track position or, um, an instructor position or whatever else one might be pursuing. You can just do it slower and, uh, and start a, a more permanent position at the same time. Um, I guess there, there are different, different ways of, of branching into a new area. I just really wanted to go head first, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's very helpful to see your side of, of what you perceived as, as what you did and, and other alternative paths. So moving on, what did you, what do you, sorry, enjoy most and what do you maybe not enjoy so much about your day-to-day -day job nowadays? Ah, uh, yes. I, I would say one, the one thing that I get I do get really excited about is um, 
it's just this notion of solving big science problems. Like it's um, like working with, with scientists and for, for me, it's, it's astronomers or astrophysicists or cosmologists, however they want to classify themselves and understanding what the big problems in their field are and then working with them to try to develop statistical data science, machine learning, AI, whatever you want to call it, methods to, um, to solve those problems. And so I, I really enjoy that. I, I also really enjoy working with students on research. And that's both um, at, you know, PhD students, master's students, and undergraduate students. Um, it, I, I think that's very, very fun and a nice way to teach. Of course, the, the problem is um, time. There's not always as much time to, um, to meet with every student you're working with regularly, but, um, but I, I do find that enjoyable. And I also, I, I would say that I, I really value and enjoy teaching. Uh, I remember that <laughs> when I was teaching at, at Carnegie Mellon in particular, for some reason, this was where things were really hitting me. But when I pass out exams and it was, um, you know, whatever the room was, sometimes it was kind of an auditorium seating and they all be working on the exam and I'd get like kind of teary eyed and just think about how like these are, these students are the future and they could, you know, they'll be running the world someday. And uh, so you and, better do your part, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's uh it really does add this like pressure like we, we have to teach them well and clearly and learn how to uh, teach them how to think about these sort of you know well statistics uh think about it appropriately and and as um statistics data science etc are becoming more prevalent in decision making i feel like it's just becoming more and more important so um yeah so teaching is also also great the um the general kind of my, one of my least favorite parts that I had alluded to in the last episode was um, just emails. And I, I guess I don't really know anyone who's like, oh, I love email so much. But yeah, I, yeah, I just, I'm just not a fan. I, I'm a, a fan that we have them. Like I don't want emails to all of a sudden disappear and us to no longer have access to them. But um, I think I just have to work on better managing, um, managing emails and, um, and so I, I do understand they're important. I, I'm glad we have them. I'm glad we have this mode of communication. But I mean, you can spend hours every day just addressing emails. And that's, yeah. It really makes me wonder how academia functions before emails. Did people just get a lot of phone calls? Right, exactly. <laughs> it, it's kind of, it's crazy to think about also, I mean, just without the internet, right? Like, yeah. how, how did that, how, how did you even run a class right with um you couldn't post the grades online so you couldn't post any materials online exactly yeah yeah so i've that education has changed so much in the past couple decades it's uh it's it's fascinating i feel very fortunate that we're teaching now as opposed to the days before all of these technological devices and i i just i mean i hate it on the one hand because i feel we have so much more to contend with in class but also just the convenience of being able to post things on the web, send out announcements. Yeah, ex exactly. It's, um, it, I wonder what's going to happen in the next 20 years with education. Like what, what's going to be, what's going to be the, the what's going to be different? What's the new technological advance that's going to revolutionize how we do things. So, well, I guess we'll, we'll see. Forward to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
All right, so winding down a little bit, here's maybe our final question, Jesse. Um, having been a professor now for a number of years, and you asked me this last time as well, what would you tell your former self about college life or maybe your life after college? Uh, yes. So this, what I would tell myself is actually very specific to me. So I, I, I don't know how much this will generalize to, to anyone else, but I'm going to tell you what I would have told myself. And that is to take more physics classes, more astronomy classes, and definitely more computer science classes. So that's number one. And then number two, in college, remember what I learned. You know, like, I, <laughs> I, it seems so simple, but I, it's just so easy to lose all of that information. And I, I don't even know what the trick would be to remember what you learn. Like, I, I guess some might argue if you really learn it, then you're going to remember it. But you, we forget things when we're not using them. And, um, and so it's, um, I, I remember, I, I don't even now remember what university I was at at the time that I was teaching where I heard a student talk about how they wish they remembered what they learned in high school. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, oh, I wish I remember what I learned in college. And so I guess it's just, that's just a, the way of life. That's just what happens. And then, um, and then the final thing I would suggest for myself is to just even consider the possibility of trying to work with a professor on a research project. Like I had some friends more in the the social sciences who were pursuing this sort of thing and it it just never really occurred to me that that was an option yeah and um and so it and it's not going to be feasible for everyone of course um but that might be something that that generalizes i guess if if you can just try to see if you can even meet with a faculty members um if they have a research group meeting just to hear what they do and um and I, I just think that would have been really helpful just to get that sort of research experience at some point before starting a PhD. I totally agree. I think so much of research is about trying things and failing and realizing that's totally normal. And if you don't have that experience before starting your PhD, it's a lot harder to deal with those failures and not take them so personally. Exactly. And because, you know, the first... The first, I don't know if we call it, the, the first time where it really hit me that you, you're not always going in the right direction, someone had said, that's why we call it research. You know, you're re-searching, right? You're constantly <laughs> re-searching. I was like, oh, okay. So that's, that's, that makes sense. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Data Bytes. If you have any suggestions or comments for us, please visit our website at databytespodcast.github.io. Till next time.